Welcome into the Grace Point Daily Podcast. My name is Jeremiah Johnson. This is season two, episode number nine. It is going to be a verse by verse edition with Rick Maynard. Welcome, Rick Maynard. Thank you. Thank you for all my fans. We need to get you some sound effects there, Rick. You know, like yes. Kelly Stevens has his. Well, Greg has none. He doesn't really have any. So, but we'll get you a nice round of applause. Greg Craywick as well. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. He's going to bring some wisdom to the verse by verse edition. Yeah. Hey, thank you for those of you that do listen to the Grace Point Daily Podcast. We exist to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. And as we are in season two, we already have some great content, some great stuff. We just did a real life story with a guy named Jerry Carnes. Check that out. Uh, we've done great Grace Point with Greg and Kelly. So all kinds of good stuff that we have this season, season two of the Grace Point Daily Podcast. But all the fans clamored for Rick Maynard to come back with a verse by verse. So Rick, thank you for contractually obligating yourself to season two and being back with us. Right. Brought back by popular demand. <laughs> that yeah, is right. right. And uh, we'll see what happens at the end of season two. Who will be more popular, Rick Maynard or Stella Maynard? We don't yeah, have her. Oh, no, no. That's her, stiff competition right there. Her fees have gone up since her well, awards. <laughs> I, you know, I'm on usually once a week. She was only on, you know, three times and yeah. she beat me out. So it's that like, tells you something. It's like being a pastor, you know, you, you speak every week and you become this regular voice and right. not as not as exciting anymore but right. you know when you're a guest speaker some other church like whoa he's so awesome and amazing so she had the effects of that mm -hmm. you know just mm -hmm. a few episodes here and everyone thinks she's just the hottest thing in the world right and i'm just <laughs> i'm just rick now yeah. all right enough about you stella maynard you'll get back on the show someday let's dive into a verse by verse edition crack open your bible get into first kings chapter five and we're going to get into it together so lead us rick okay we were uh we read uh, five, First Kings five sixteen. We read it last week, uh, but I just want to say a few things about it. I'll read it again. It said Solomon had seventy thousand carriers, eighty thousand stone cutters in the hills, as well as thirty three hundred foremen who supervised the project and directed the workmen. So it's just giving you uh, details about uh, these workers. But just a couple of other things about that, and we'll move on. But um, the the one of the questions that came up about that is: Were those Jewish people? Were they all? You know, Solomon's followers were they Gentiles, but what had happened was that uh, they had refused, or not refused, but just failed to remove the people they were supposed to remove when they came into uh, Canaan. And this has carried on till till these times. And so they'd failed to remove. And let me let me back up in First Kings nine twenty and twenty one. It says. All of the people that remained of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites who were not of the children of Israel, their children who remained after them in the land that the children of Israel had not been able to wipe out, Solomon levied upon them a tax of service to this very day. So these Gentiles are those who uh, they just had failed to remove. God had told them when they came into the land, these people were to be uh, gone. It wasn't like a, a genocide that we think of today. Uh, probably if God acted in that way today, man, you talk about civil rights and, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. you can't come in here and just take over this land and throw everyone out. You know, we don't have any idea about how all that works, but, but they had not driven those people out. And so instead of coming back at this point and saying, okay, now you need to leave, you know, we should have kicked you out before, but we're going to kick you out now. They began to integrate them a little bit with restriction. So those people could stay, but they didn't have all the same rights as the Israelites. And so 
by working here, they weren't pulled in as slaves. In other words, okay, you guys stayed here, so now you've got to be slaves to us, and you're going to have to work on this uh, temple. But even in, uh, they had made laws for Gentiles, which, again, some of them were the same laws as the Jewish people, but then there were some things in addition to it. But the laws were, um, and, and these had been given clear back for Noah, to Noah for Gentile people. So uh, they were f- uh, forbid to worship idols. They were forbid to blaspheme, to steal, to kill, to engage in forbidden sexual relations, to eat a limb from a living animal. I'm not sure about how that all, uh, you know, <laughs> Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, oh, you know, Lord. that is going to restrict you there as yes. a Gentile. So, um, And then they were uh, to establish courts that govern society justly, so they had to have courts for their own uh, people to make sure that they were adhering to the uh, Jewish law, in other words. So they weren't exempt. They actually had extra laws that were put on them because they were allowed to, to stay there. So, um, and they didn't have to convert to Judaism in order to, to stay there. And I, I think, you know, for us today, that would be a little bit like the church. You know, if someone wants to come to this church and they've been Catholic their whole life or they've been Baptist their whole life, you know, we don't say at the door, you know, when somebody mm-hmm. comes in, oh, are you a Baptist? Yeah, I'm a Baptist. <laughs> well, you're not welcome here. Yeah. You know, if uh, if you're going to come to this church, you have to convert to all of our beliefs and all of our standards. Uh, it would be that, that same thing. Uh, the only restriction, I guess, and we still do that in a sense, they couldn't be a member here if they didn't believe yeah. what the Assemblies of God believes. You can't yeah. be a member of the church, you know. So, uh, kind of the same principle. They they had uh, they were allowed to do certain things, but there was also restrictions. New Testament's a whole different thing, you know. The Gentiles talks about Gentiles being grafted in. Yeah, you know, there was a problem with that even clear into the New Testament. Mm-hmm. There was a problem with Gentiles, you know, getting to have what. <clears throat> excuse me, what the Jewish people had. So uh, anyway, uh, most of the Gentiles didn't stay because they believed in the same God. They just stayed because it was it was just easier. You know, if someone came along and said, um, uh, you know, here's your choices. You know, you can convert to Judaism or you can stay here or you can take your entire family, pick up, you know, your job, your possessions, and move away. A lot of them said, well, it'd be easier just, just to stay. They didn't stay because they wanted to be Jews. Mm-hmm. They stayed just because it was easier to stay than to, to make a change. So um, so they didn't pay. They weren't taxed. In other words, it wasn't part of their tax to, to say, because you're a Gentile, we're going to like levy work on you because you're a Gentile. All it means when it talks about the taxes and how taxes were levied and things just means that they were paid from Tax money is all it means, so they weren't uh, mistreated or bought out, in other words. So, uh, 17 and 18, at the king's command, they removed from the quarry large blocks of quality stone to provide a foundation of dressed stone, uh, dressed stone for the temple. The craftsmen of Solomon and Hiram and the men of Gabal cut and prepared the timber and stone for the building of the temple. So, um, uh, this is... It, it, it's kind of amazing because I use this illustration as a builder. Normally, you know, and, and I built pastor's house, but every foundation that I've ever put in, there's certain requirements for it. I mean, it has to be 
so many inches wide, so many inches deep, and has to have rebar in it, has to have all those kinds of things. But it does not matter what it looks like. Mm. You know, the foundation is buried. And so as long as it meets all those requirements for strength, then it doesn't matter about uh, what it looked like. So it's a it's kind of an amazing thing that even with, I mean, there was such dedication to make sure that this temple was right, that they even cut the stones and polished the stones that were going to be basically buried mm-hmm. or unseen. Mm-hmm. But it was like we're not even going to sacrifice that for God's temple. We're not even going to sacrifice and say, well, who cares what it looks like? Nobody's ever going to see it anyway. Yeah, uh, they had a that. feeling. Well, God knows, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, and um, you know, and and I and I've seen this this type of thing because my dad worked for Carthage Marble almost his whole life, and uh, we would move to California at different times for short periods of time. And when he went out there, he worked for a marble company there. Of course, Carthage. If you're familiar with Carthage, you can drive out here at the top of the underground storage. And there's those great big blocks around there to keep people from driving off into the quarry. Yeah. Before they had that, there were people who drove off into the quarry. <laughs> oh, I mean, wow. you'd miss one of those curves out there and drunk wow. or whatever, and they drove off into those big holes out there. Wow. So anyway, they put those big stones up there. Well, I've seen those stones and what they can look like when they're cut and polished. You know, that's my my dad was a polisher. That was his okay. job. So he would glue that stuff together and polish it all up and make it, you know, beautiful for floors. And uh, he worked on the state capitol building, you know, with that marble, putting marble mm-hmm. on there and uh, different things. So, but it's amazing that you would take the time or the effort to, and especially then, they didn't have the polishing tools that you have now. I mean, I can't imagine what yeah. it took to do that. And so, you know, I'm 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 definitely convicted about that from time to time. We're in a new project. Mm. Uh, doing some studio work for other stuff here at the church. And I was convicted about that the last few months where for me, I consider myself a creatively frugal person mm-hmm. or I'd like to be, I like to be under budget, not over budget. Right. But sometimes I want to slap myself because it's like, Jeremiah, bring the best to right. God, not always like the cheapest. Let's mm-hmm. see how cheap we can do this. And, right. you know, I'm wavering between not being a prosperity person mm-hmm. where we're trying to be exorbitant and, wasteful but yet god deserves the best he does deserve the best you know and i i can this is where i can get a little frustrated as a pastor sometimes people don't bring their best to god in the Mm -hmm. context of the church or the body of christ but man i can roll out to their house and they got their house is awesome their house has got all the best stuff but then when it comes to the church stuff it's kind of like let's be a little bit right right it's somebody else's money, and you know, and you'd think it'd be just the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's church money; it's somebody else's money. Hey, let's spend it, or even just you the know? the whole attitude of, well, nobody's ever going to see it, right? We just right. do it, you know, yeah. halfway or whatever, right? And, yeah. Well, it'd be like the the cleaning of the church. You know, we were just picking on Pastor Justin a little bit ago, but <laughs> you know, the cleaning of the church. You could get that attitude of, well, I'm not cleaning there; that people don't see that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you go in there and the dust is an inch thick. And, yep. you know, well, nobody's ever going to see it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can carry that a little further. Our sins and our, well, nobody's ever going to know it. Sure. You know, kind of, it's kind of that same a attitude. Mindset. Yeah. Right. For sure. So, uh, so anyway, um, it was, and I think all of this that we're talking about here has to do with um, 
you know, God's commands that he gave to David about how to build the temple, um, you know, the way it was to be done, the stones that were to be used, the gold, the timber, all those things. And I know a lot of people look at things like this and they say, "What di- you know, what difference does that make? And, and again, going back to the fact that, you know, I've been raised around the building trade, not commercially. I've always built residential. But I've had very few uh, blueprints, you know. Uh, I was able to draw something up. You don't have to have blueprints for every. If you know how to build something, you don't have to have a blueprint that says, right. this board has to be a two-by-four. This board has to, yeah. you just know yeah. what it takes to put it together. But um, and, and most people, if I brought blueprints in, and number one, they're going to cost them 1000 bucks. So it's like, okay, here's your house. I can build it for this amount of money. If you want me to get blueprints, it's going to be another $1,000. Well, most people, if I laid those blueprints out, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't know what they were looking at anyway. Mm-hmm. So most people don't want to be. So it's a little bit like that with what we're talking about in these next couple of chapters. And and I actually, I'm going to skip some of it for that very reason. A lot of people are not interested in. <laughs> you know, it's three point one inches from this point to this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just and and it comes to that in the Bible too. We want to skip over things. And I'm going to skip over for the sake of um, a lot of it's a little repetitive, and you just know that some people are not that interested in it. So we'll move on. First Kings 6, 6 1. In the 480th year after the Israelites had come out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. So uh, chapter 5 is all the arrangements, all the gathering. Uh, chapter 6 is the beginning uh, of the building. And, you know, there's questions about why uh, why they waited so long. Uh, preparations, I don't know if that, I don't think, I think David was very rich. I don't think Solomon needed to save up money to be able to do the project. I think the money was there. So, um, but there's a, a uh, saying that says once a kingdom has existed after three years, it's firmly established. And I think that's kind of a, a general rule that, um, you know, even with even with a pastor, you know, I feel like you're firmly established. But even after a three-year period, it might be a, a time frame that you could set in there and say, you know, if, if you've made it, kind of, well, like marriage, if you've made it this long, mm-hmm. you're probably going to make it. You know, is that where that whole three year thing came in, Rick? That's where that's where it came in. It's, it's biblical. It's biblical. Oh, Lord. You, well, you thought we just did that, but it's right here, First Kings. It's right there. So don't. Anyway, we'll move on from that. I know what we're going to be talking about at the next board meeting. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. For those of you that don't know, there used to be a policy of voting a pastor in for three years. So uh, that's uh, that's what we're talking about. But we'll move on from there. But um, and this was. And we're going to take a little break at some point, not right now, but we're going to take a little break and talk about the Jewish calendar a little bit. But this was in the year 2928 of creation is the way it's worded. So if the Jewish calendar is not like our calendar, and and again, I want to talk about it a little bit uh, later, but we are, I think, and I looked the other day and I don't remember now, but I think we are at uh, year 5799 or somewhere along there. So the Jewish people have uh, gone backwards. They've looked at all of this king was in for so many years, this king was so many years, uh, this guy lived this long, this guy lived this So they've traced it back. They believe the calendar began 
after the sixth day of creation, mm-hmm. that's when the calendar started. So they believe the the Jewish teaching is not that you know we are well. It it, it could go to the idea that. You know, the world has been here a billion years, but they just started the calendar on six days. So they believe really that there's a the gap theory, that it wasn't a literal six days. There was six days, but it might have taken billions of years mm-hmm. to do those six days, and then creation or, or the calendar started on that seventh day. Mm-hmm. So it started on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. That's why they're so um, adamant. Uh, well, and the Bible does say to, <laughs> yep. to honor the Sabbath, right? but also there's a... Uh, an adamant feeling about it because it was considered the first day of the Jewish calendar of creation, in other words. So uh, their teaching would be that we are 5,799 days from the sixth day or the seventh day of creation. So that's where that those numbers come from. So this would have been, to them, whether it's totally accurate or not, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that, mm-hmm. but this would have been 2928 of, of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just, you know, I like kind of the numbers of things, but 480 years, the work began on the tabernacle after leaving Egypt. So they, it was 480 years, 480 years later, the second temple was built. So there's a, if you're into numbers, there was an exact time frame. I don't know why that is. I didn't read any theories on the magic number 480. Yeah, but it is interesting sometimes to see how we'll have to wait till things, heaven. Yeah, and then we'll find yeah. out. There. We'll yeah, ask, sure. or, or we'll know everything when we get there. Yeah, we won't have go. to oh, ask. That's why. You know, yeah. now I know. Mm-hmm. So, okay, six two. The temple that uh, King Solomon built for the Lord was sixty cubits long, twenty wide, and thirty high. And again, we're not going to get into all these, but if it, that figures up to uh, ninety feet long, thirty feet wide, forty five feet high, uh, twenty seven hundred square feet. Uh, Josephus says. Uh, that it was a three-story building, so uh, that there was rooms all the way around the building uh, where the priest would stay, um, where they would have meetings or whatever. It was it was kind of like what I would think of uh, a convention center. You know, you'd have a main auditorium or whatever, and then you'd have all these rooms that, I'm not saying they rented out rooms, right. <laughs> but you would have these places where people could meet, uh, whether it was storage rooms or or whatever it may be, but six three, the portico at the front of the main hall of the temple extended the width of the temple. That's uh, that is twenty cubits and projected ten cubits from the front of the temple. And again, we're not going to uh, go through every one of those details, but I want to I want to uh, look at something and and you think can they see this through the microphone if yeah. I hold it up? <laughs> um, I uh, I drew this out of my. Uh, whiteboard i'm still you know i'm old school the blackboard yeah. at the at the school you know i'm the whiteboard now but i uh, i drew this out and talking about the temple and the tabernacle and making that transition because the tabernacle was what was in the wilderness the temple is um is what solomon's building so there's a difference there but these were interesting and i, and I think the only reason numbers are put in here a lot of times because we can say well why is that so important why should we care how big it was or how many people there were, whatever. But I think part of it is just talking about how big God is, you know, how uh, that was all they had to relate to at the time was this was what housed God's presence. So it needed to be special. Yeah. You know, it's not like, well, let's throw up a metal building over here and that's, you know, 
And people would probably think, really? You really think God lives there? <laughs> you know, you really think the God of heaven? Of course, I mean, it's crazy for us to think the God of heaven would live in this temple either. Yeah. But at least there was something there that was big enough and an awesome sight for people to come and say, man, they really did this. They really honored mm-hmm. their God. This was yeah. probably the the greatest temple that there probably ever was to honor any kind of God, uh, just to say, our God is better than your God. <laughs> you might have a temple yeah. for your God, but ours is yeah. ours is yeah. bigger. Ours is better. Yeah. We love our God yeah. more than you love your God, in other words. I, I don't know. It's competition who builds, uh, but we have competition in church buildings sometimes. Uh, yeah. You know. I'm sure I'll use less and less Mormon illustrations as the years go on. But again, I always go back to Utah being there. I mean, they took such care and concern and effort and excellence into building the Mormon temples. Right. I mean, they right. wanted that yeah. to be seen and to be evident. They, I mean, when you drove by a Mormon temple, you couldn't help but notice whether right. you wanted to or not. And I appreciate that. I value that. You know, right. again, that sense of excellence, that sense of, this is God's, you know, and we, you know, because it's that balance again of, of, I don't know if balance is the right word, but you know, today, and I know in our movement, our fellowship kind of, there's now this overall taste of just come as you are, you know, just worship God, however you want to, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we can, there can be legalism to that as far as like, you know, wear your suit and tie and all these kind of things. But then there can be the, the other side, which is we are too casual, a little bit more like, you know, where we have to remember, hey, tonight, yeah, we're not all in suits, but tonight the presence of God is here. Right. Tonight we're worshiping Jesus. You know, this is God's house, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That's still important to think those thoughts. Right. I think with uh, with the church, we forget sometimes that, uh, you know, what's your priority? Is your priority to hang on to people that are here, or is your priority to see people, new people saved? Right. So if, if I'm going to bring if, if people are going to be attracted to the church that are unsaved, they're not attracted because of the presence or because of the song that you sing or whatever. Their first initial thing yep. is the appearance of the place, mm-hmm. you know? So I want to be able to, and that's not what it's not for me because I'm an established Christian yep. that doesn't sure. matter that much to me, but it does matter to unsaved people. Yep. So who are we trying to, who are we trying to draw? I mean, I want the church to look nice, but, you know, I still would have come here every Sunday <laughs> yeah. if the front of the church still had the paneling and didn't have, you know, lights, colored lights and different I'd still be here. But would those new people that have been coming to the church and getting saved, maybe that's not the only reason they came, mm-hmm. but there had to be something for them to come in here and say, man, this place looks cool, you know? I mean, it's a place I might want to come to. Uh, you have to have a draw for the unsaved mm-hmm. and and not always have a mentality that, well, it's good enough. It's good enough for me. I'm, I'm yeah. still coming to church here, <laughs> you know, and, and remember who we're, who we're after, in other words. But, but I, wanna, I, I wanted to say just about this and about the tabernacle. These are numbers that we all know. But this drawing that I have has the tent, uh, the, the tabernacle, and then there was a distinct way that people were lined up around it. Certain ones were close, and then as it extended out. And so uh, I'm not going to read every one of these, but it just has all these numbers 
from uh, from all these people from all the different tribes. The number of men 20 years of age and older, not including the Levites, was 603,550, including women, children, and the remainder of the mixed multitude who left Egypt. The number of people encamped around the tabernacle was probably between two and a half and three million people. So I know we're talking about the uh, the temple now, but the temple originated because there was a tabernacle. And, and the honor, you know, it's one thing, the honor of this new temple that they're building that's going to be so great and awesome and beautiful with all the dress stone and all the gold and all that stuff. But there was a tabernacle in the wilderness that represented the presence of God and the presence going, and, and it didn't matter what it looked like. Those people were following God in the wilderness with a cloth, if you would, tabernacle mm-hmm. that was built there, but still represented God's presence. So I think you can have both extremes. You can have that place that you they may do. I'm not saying they didn't care about the one in the wilderness, but uh, but they may do. They, they used the best of what they had available there, and God's presence was there. And in Solomon's time, he used the best of what was available, and God's presence was there. It doesn't matter. I, I, I made this statement. God's presence is in Joel Olstein's church with yep. 40,000, and God's the same God's presence is with the little country church of 20 people yes. that's out there someplace. Same presence. Yep. And so it has nothing to do with how great the temple is, and especially in our time because we don't have a temple anymore. Right. That's not important. Our, we are the temple. But uh, but let me read, and this just, again, I like numbers, and, and it just brings it to reality. It says, um, uh, one author estimated that the encampment around the tabernacle extended approximately 12 square miles. So if you think about, that's from here to Diamond, if wow. you were, you know, as far as just one direction, and then 12 miles square to be able to keep all those people Another author estimated that the provisions needed to meet the needs of the people and the animals were in excess of 30 boxcars of food and 300 tank cars of water per day. If the people traveled 50 abreast, the procession would have stretched for 40 miles. So, I mean, we just forget sometimes. And it's not just, well, that's a lot of people, but God's provision, I mean, in the wilderness, they could not have... They might have been able to take enough for each family for a few days. Right, yep. That they thought. <laughs> Supernatural. But the amazing thing about what God can do when when God's in it and how he can provide for that many people, that big of an area. you know, And it's no wonder that people didn't, uh, you know, that every one of those people didn't serve God. And it's no wonder they created idols and did all those things. I mean, you're talking about two and a half to three million people. Do you really think that there would be two and a half to three million people who would honestly be serving God and loving God mm. and <laughs> seeking God's presence? And that's a, that would be, that in itself is almost an impossibility. So, uh, so anyway, just, that's just some numbers there to, um, to emphasize how big of a, a thing this really was. So we're going to read just a couple of other things about the, the temple itself. 6-4, he made narrow celestial windows in the temple. Uh, the Hebrew says he made sealed lookout windows for the house lookout. And, and sorry, he made sealed windows. Um, some, uh, you know, and some of these things get into um, a little bit being ridiculous 
because people try to make something out of nothing. And that's, I try to be very careful about that because some people say, well, that meant that it was, they were narrow on the inside and wide on the outside so mm-hmm. that you could look out, but people coming by couldn't look in. And, you know, there was all kinds of theories about uh, why. And, and then it's funny because you can read all those theories and then it'll say, at the end, it'll say, some think they were just regular windows, <laughs> you know, like yeah, right. Uh, what windows yep. are for to let light in, to let air in, whatever it may be. So, six uh, five against the walls of the main hall and inner sanctuary, he built a structure around the building in which there were side rooms, um, and and again, that's what we were talking about with uh, the rooms on each story that uh, housing for the priest and those kind of things. Six six, the lowest floor was five cubits wide, the middle floor six cubits. Third floor seven. He made offset ledges around the outside of the temple, so that nothing around the temple, so that nothing would be inserted into the temple walls. And again, if we had a diagram, it was it was built kind of opposite of steps, so it was wider at the top than at the bottom, and it was to prevent uh, people from climbing the walls of the temple. Mm-hmm. If you weren't supposed to be in there, they actually built in a system that uh, I said you'd have to be Spider Man. Who could crawl upside down mm-hmm. across those blocks to be able to get into the temple? So it was very, <laughs> it was structured to the point, and and not because people were, you know, we don't lock the doors here because we don't uh, want people to come to church. We don't lock them when we're having church. <laughs> yeah, you know, we lock them because there are people we don't want in here when there's, you know, when they're not supposed to be here. So same thing with the temple, and and if you, I I told my class if you want to look at these things and see a, a closer picture of these. There's all kinds of yeah. videos, uh, re, you know, 3D things of what the temple must have looked like, those kind of things. Obviously, it doesn't stand today, so uh, we can't go there and walk through the temple if you go to Jerusalem today. But, uh, um, uh, but the ledges, the diagrams, all those kind of things, again, if you want to see that, uh, you can look those things up. Google it. Google it. Yeah, we have that uh, option today. So, and there's all kinds of artist renderings, and uh, you can buy little models that you can put together to show these things. Uh, you know, there's uh, they're talking about the third temple being built at some point. Uh, the Wailing Wall, you know, is considered uh, the closest thing to the Holy of Holies. That's what they believe. That's why people go there and offer prayers. Uh, if you've been to uh, Israel and you go to the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, uh, if you go there, there's cracks in that wall. Uh, you can go up there. You can put on your little hat because you're not supposed to approach that without a covering on your head. So they will furnish you. You don't have to have the the little yarmulke of the Jewish people. If you've got a, a uh, baseball cap, that's okay. You just have to have your head covered. Mm. But they have little paper yarmulkes that oh. you put that on and walk up to the wall. They have pieces of like what you call sticky notes or whatever that you can write a prayer request on that and put it inside the cracks of those walls. I don't know how often they come and you know clean those out to start mm-hmm. over, but it's it is kind of a moving experience to stand there and watch because any time of the day that you would go there, there would be hundreds of people, you know, standing around that wall. Uh, They still separate the men and the women. You know, men go to one side, women go to the other side. Uh, The women are loud, but you just don't go 
in that place together. They're still under some of the old Jewish law. Praise God. In other words. Yeah. That's the way so, it should be, I think. Yeah. Well, that's uh, <laughs> when, when it, uh, You might have a battle if we have right. to separate the men and the women in the church. Uh, I'm not sure my wife's going to like Let's that. Let's try that well. next Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Let's see how that, how's that working for you, Pastor? <laughs> so, anyway, we're starting something new at Grace Point this Sunday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're all welcome, but just if you bring your spouse, you know, put them on the other side of the room. Yeah. So, because we know women are not supposed to be speak in church. Yeah. So, we know. We are being sarcastic here. Right, right. We are being sarcastic. So. Man, it's so awesome to dive into this stuff. It really is interesting to see God's plans and God's purposes. Hey, I hope you guys join us each and every week that you're getting into the word, that you are challenging yourself, that you're discovering the newness of God as you read through his word each and every day. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can listen to us on any podcast platform. You can, if you're on Anchor, you can hit this button called the Support This Podcast button. Smash that. You can send us a voicemail, an email at gracepointdaily at gmail.com. Whatever. We want to stay connected with you guys, but we will talk to you next time. Next time.